0: the high desert in the great american southwest
1: west welcome to coast to coast am john welcome to the program it's good to have you with us
2: welcome back to coast to coast pm where it's all conspiracy all the time the very unofficial yet number one coast to coast am podcast where two brothers talk about coast to coast episodes my name is paul i am the guy that listens to coast to coast hey and i'm chris i'm the mel gibson to your danny glover with a whole lot less (laughs) anti-semitism it was not what i was expecting no no but i like it you liked it i liked it especially the the nod to mel gibson's anti-semitism which (laughs) is world renowned (laughs) world renowned anti-semite mel gibson but can the man make one hell of a movie he can he can definitely make a movie man you know braveheart that that uh that scene of braveheart where he does this little speech uh, is is still iconic fourth of july dude the patriot one of the best revolutionary war movies of all time also amazing he's got he's got some good ones and then he went apocalypto which was not quite as fun i didn't enjoy that one didn't see that and it was ma- mainly just gore well and he wasn't in that right he just directed it so yeah he was i just will the say actor mel gibson still still at the top of the game yeah and oh, i mean all the lethal weapons one through four uh, yep. And then, you know, the, the always sunny five, six, seven, and eights were also fantastic. Right, exactly. Well, Chris, we got a doozy of an episode. I know we have not talked much about cryptids 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 so wait you give me what's a rough definition of what a cryptid is uh it's those mystical creatures out there right like yeah. uh, a mothman or a, a Loch Ness monster for instance okay those are all cryptids all cryptids and chupacabra they, chupacabra great one great yeah. one today we're talking about one of i think our favorites that we grew up uh you know watching you know history channel discovery channel specials about Bigfoot. Bigfoot, dude. Bigfoot. Yes. The Pacific Northwest's very large mammalian he's an ape, right? Considered to be an ape? He by many he is considered to be an ape. It depends who you're talking to, which Bigfootologist you're you're speaking with, but right. a lot of folks Consider them some sort of like missing link, missing Uh, link, you know, bridging humanity back to our forebears. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty fun. And specifically, today we are going to be listening to another George Knapp interview, uh, George Knapp, Coast to Coast AM. Uh, kind of tier two host i'd say uh, my god dude my george favorites. knapp has gotten more love than art bell has he's i don't know man he's just been putting out good episodes lately separate so. episodes <laughs> yeah this is going to be an episode from uh june of 2022 where okay. he interviews uh toby johnson and brett eichenberger who uh, created the film A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, which is about Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest. Always got to add like a revealed or finding or discovered. You got it, man. When you're talking about these things, right? Reel them in. You got to reel the people in. And here's the thing about these two guys, man. These are the most based Bigfoot researchers I've ever heard. So a lot of Pepe the Frogs. No Pepe the frogs. Just no like in, Pepe the frogs. They're just very grounded in reality, okay. which is very nice. interesting. So we're we're gonna kind of listen to their view of Bigfoot, but they they take a more historical perspective, right? So they look at what Native American tradition said, what some of the early settlers said in the region Ooh. about Bigfoot, and then also interviewed locals who had seen Bigfoot more recently. I like that. Yeah, which is pretty fun. I really enjoyed listening to this because, I mean, Chris, you've you've seen the specials that they have on TV where it's yes. some, some idiot out there. It's a three-hour long show, and they never find a, a, a single thing. You know, the one that I really enjoyed recently was that Hulu documentary about Bigfoot. I think it was called Bigfoot. Oh, um, I didn't see that. Oh, man, it was really good, but it was about a guy who worked in the – marijuana fields back in the early 90s in northern california and the bigfoot stories that he heard that is interesting how much can you trust a man that works in a marijuana field well so he ended up becoming an investigative journalist okay okay he he starts off talking about a couple of the big stories that he did okay i mean that kind of gave him a little bit of credibility i just wasn't sure if he was you know kind of getting high on his own supply out there oh that definitely seemed to be happening <laughs> <laughs> it happens to the best of us well Chris before we get into Bigfoot which I'm really excited to jump into because these guys have uh, an, an interesting perspective that I hadn't heard previously we have to check in with our good friend Tim Banol. Tim Boy Tim Boy at the Coast to Coast AM blog yes I can't wait give it to me baby uh-huh uh-huh so today's article the headline Ghostly encounters cause students to abandon dormitory in India. Whoa, yeah. Indian ghosts. Indian ghosts. Hindu ghosts. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if specifically if they're Hindu. Okay. But, but high probability. At least Indian. High probability yeah. that they're both Indian and likely Hindu. So from the, the writer Tim Banal on the Coast to Coast AM blog, a dormitory in India may soon be vacant following a series of ghostly encounters that sparked such a panic that all of the residents of the building have decided to leave the spooky site. According to a local media report, the weird case began last month at the Kasturba Gandhi Girls Hostel when three separate students reported seeing an eerie apparition dressed entirely in white. Oh, so it's probably Gandhi. (laughs) I, I don't know. It could be. It's probably Mahatma Gandhi, dude. That would be kind of cool, though. I wouldn't run away Checking from that in, one. seeing how everything is going. <laughs> hey, it's just finger gunning everyone. Like, what's he, up? He, he did like the young girls, so... Uh, did he? Yeah. Was Gandhi a pedophile? No, don't do that. Uh, I, I won't go so far to besmirch him that much, but uh, there's definitely some strange stories around Gandhi and uh, girls below what is uh, deemed to be a... Uh, common age uh, i've been listening to too much true and on recently so i just assume everyone's being a pedophile mostly everyone's a pedophile you're yeah right. so the sight of the unsettling interloper was apparently so troubled that each of the witnesses became sick from the experience and subsequently fled the dormitory wow yeah however this was only the beginning of a situation that has left the school administrators scrambling <laughs> Dude, Tim has the best words. Dude, the flair he writes with is so amazing. It's incredible. He's talented. The day after the ghost sighting caused a commotion in the dormitory, another two students reported seeing the unnerving figure and falling ill after their experience. Faced with a veritable outbreak of paranormal activity in the building, school officials held a meeting with the parents of the remaining students in an effort to ease concerns over what had occurred in recent days my lord so we're at like five kids now they're all that's like semi-possession right when you get sick yeah honestly it kind of is like when when you're physically ill from the experience that's it's pretty dramatic wasn't just i got scared it was like i'm ill yeah but it's also i don't know they could just be being ridiculous alas no no, not at all. It would seem that their attempt at supernatural damage control was all for naught as administrators were informed that all 50 of the remaining residents had decided they would vacate the dormitory due to the ghostly presence, which is super super lame. <laughs> They're all running out of the building. I would have totally done the same thing. I would have gotten the hell out of there, dude. You bail if everyone's getting sick from it especially. Uh, I, dude, because what listen, let's at the at the least let's say that there's no ghostly activity, all mm-hmm. right all these kids are getting sick. there's something wrong, like environmentally speaking, not a good sign yeah I mean that's that's when you start getting out of the- if there if people weren't getting sick, I may have stayed to see if I could see anything if you saw a ghost yeah an Indian an Indian ghost. I really want to see a ghost when I was in savannah recently uh I was going through the the graveyards with my wife at nighttime taking pictures of everything, trying to see if I could see a ghost. And I think I caught something. She doesn't think I caught anything. No. We are still debating it. I okay. think I caught something though. We may need to post it somewhere so our listeners can take a look. We probably should so they can see they we'll let them decide if I saw a ghost, but I'm pretty sure I saw a ghost. Here's what's well, here's what's truly horrifying about an Indian ghost and I'm just going to go ahead and, and make the assumption that it is a Hindu ghost Hindus for the most part believe in reincarnation and let's just say that they're right about that you got to be a horrible piece of crap to not even like get placed into a lesser being where the godhead says you're you don't even get to be reincarnated your soul has to walk the earthly realm for the rest of time, dude. That is an evil person. That would really suck, honestly, especially That's if in- everyone else is getting reincarnated and you're, you're trapped. You don't even get the chance of, of being like, you know, put into a lower level to learn. You're trapped, I, I, yeah, I don't know, man. That would be, that would be pretty lame. And so no wonder all these kids are getting sick. Yeah. It's really a benevolent being that you got going on there. Terrible person. So yeah, dude, that just on that thought, I'm getting the hell out of that dormitory there. Yeah. Well, back to the article, back to the article. It is uncertain if the school can convince the remaining students to change their mind or if the dormitory will ultimately wind up being vacant. Should the latter scenario unfold, however, administrators will likely have a difficult time filling up the rooms, right. as this is actually the second ghost scare to sweep through the building, following BS. a similar incident, <laughs> following a similar incident that occurred at the site in 2018 and wound up making headlines throughout the country. With recent, so I guess ghost- you could say this is a problem of an Indian burial ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrible. Terrible. with recent events serving to bolster the site's reputation for being haunted convincing new students to move into the dormitory will now undoubtedly be something of a hard sell yeah very hard which i would agree with i would probably not move in there especially if this is the second time it's happened as our dear leader president bush said fool me once shame on you fool me twice you can't fool me again immortal words immortal words well, that was the Coast to Coast AM blog. Another beautiful piece by Tim Banal. Timmy Banal, dude, he's got the adjectives and adverbs to get me through any story. He always has a new twist of phrase that just brings a smile to my face every time I read an article from him. It's great, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, we're, at some point when we go to the Coast to Coast AM uh, Expo somewhere, and we're doing our live broadcast of Coast to Coast PM. We're going to have to get Timmy Banal on, get him like a bottle of whiskey or something. Oh, that'd be a lot of fun. Just get drunk with Tim Banal and record it and see what happens. Oh, oh dude. Just be like, Timmy, <laughs> give us your best stories. Yeah. Cause he's got some, dude. I'm sure he has some, man. Well, and uh, there, if you pay like, two hundred dollars you can have dinner with george nori which is something that maybe we should do at some point there we go do you think he would do a live broadcast with us no i don't (laughs) but (laughs) i think we could go undercover and have dinner with him there you go (laughs) yeah we'll we'll just record it the whole time yeah well are you ready to get into a little bigfoot chris take me into the world of the big feet dude the the very large feet, or Sasquatch, as they say. Sasquatch, yes. Either but or. Not worse. to be confused with the Yeti. Mm-hmm. The Yeti is a totally different being, correct? I believe so. I I mean, the Yeti is more like white fur versus right. brown fur of a Sasquatch yeah. or a Bigfoot. It's like saying a polar bear and a grizzly bear is the same thing. I, I honestly think they're about as similar. It's just they they're different, but kind of the same. Right. Big, hairy, and smelly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's jump in, Chris. So to start off, like I said, these guys start at the beginning, which is like a hundred thousand years ago, Native American traditions and what yes. they used to say about Bigfoot, which was a big deal for them to actually be able to, you know, speak with these communities and kind of get their conception of what Bigfoot is. So they're going to like Native American reservations and like doing some one-on-one conversations getting like the old stories exactly they they were actually visiting reservations becoming friends with tribal leaders and then and then hearing what they had to say about bigfoot in the pacific northwest oh dude i can't wait it's pretty cool they were doing some cool stuff the native
0: collection the native um connection is where we start because we're talking about relationships with tribes up and down the west coast and and for the most part across the united states relationships that go back hundreds if not thousands of years You know, and some of these relationships are are very close. And one of the tribes uh, that's based up in um, Vancouver, I'm sorry, in uh, British Columbia on Vancouver Island, they believe they might actually have some Sasquatch DNA in them.
2: Whoa. Yeah. A little bit of Sasquatch mixing in the tribe. Are they like particularly tall or something like that? Why? What's the what was the belief that they actually had DNA in them? I think it was just because they had been around him for so long, and they they felt a kinship to him. Right. I don't think there's any sort of actual physical traits, but it was okay. more just that that vibe of right. you know we we are uh, the same as the Sasquatch. Well, and theoretically, you know, uh, Homo sapiens and Neanderthal and all were interbreeding as well. So, I mean, if they're not that far removed from humans, it could totally be likely that we have some Bigfoot progeny w- walking around. Yeah. Series finale of Battlestar Galactica. Right. Exactly. You know, got to, got to mate with the, uh, the locals, the locals. All right. <laughs> now, an interesting thing about Bigfoot, a lot of tribes do associate Bigfoot uh, positively, right? So they, they yeah. have positive experience with the Sasquatch, uh, but some don't. And, and it's kind of just based on where you're located. Uh, how you you know feel about them or, or potentially how they're actually acting. okay
0: some of the tribes I know look at look at Sasquatch as kind of a mischievous cousin or a trickster. Um, but obviously they all have different you know relationships and some of that I think depends on region you know say for instance, if you're in the Mount St. Helens area, uh, they can be a little bit more aggressive than they might be. You know, Mount around the uh, the Mount Rainier area.
2: Well, and that yeah, that totally makes sense, right? This this isn't one tribe of Bigfoots; it's multiple tribes, theoretically, throughout the Pacific Northwest, and there would be different kind of um, attributes that those tribes would have. Yeah, like different cultures internally, right. Where some may be a bit more aggressive. I don't want to say warlike, something like, there's any evidence they're waging war, but just bigger dicks than others are. Right. Yeah. Versus some, which we'll get into this in a bit, which are really nice. People actually like leave them gifts out in the woods. Oh, that's cool. Pretty chill. Yeah. I was, that's a fun little thing that I would like to do one day just leave a gift for Bigfoot. <laughs> leave a Bigfoot. What do you leave as a gift to Bigfoot? Like beef jerky? We'll get into it. We'll oh, get into okay. it. <laughs> We'll, we'll talk through it. Now, so what, what we do from here is we kind of talk through some of the evidence, right? So we'll kind of go through a couple through lines of Native American history. But before we do that, one of the big things that, you know, is shown as a, shown as a proof point of Bigfoot is the Patterson-Gimlin film. Patterson- but it's still Gimlin the
3: only film. real great footage that exists. Why wouldn't people say, why is it there more? What do you tell them?
0: You know, they're great at... I think sensing people. I think I, I, I definitely think that they have senses that um, obviously humans don't have. Um, I, you know, I think that they you know, might be able to, to to sense the frequency of cameras. Uh, they might be able to hear. Um, you know, the mechanism.
2: So the only real video of Bigfoot that we have is the Patterson-Gimlin film, which George Knapp was referring to there. And it is a 59-second long film that was shot on 8 millimeter camera in Orleans, California in 1967. This is the classic Bigfoot film of the Bigfoot crossing like the riverbed and looks back at the camera for a second. Yes. It's it's okay. that classic the the still shot that you usually see of it like the arm splayed out. Yeah, uh, right. Th- that is from that film. And it's the only real film of Bigfoot that we have that hasn't been proven to be a fake. That I thought it has been proven to be a hoax. No, not according to uh Nap, uh Toby, and Brett's. This is one that they put up a lot of money to try and prove it to be a, a hoax, and uh-huh. basically no one has been able to demonstrate. That it is a hoax based on the technology that was available at the time for creating costumes in fifth grade I had to do a project proving that it was a hoax I had read somewhere that somebody saw like a glint of a uh, of a belt or something like that so that must have been, I must have been passing around conspiracy then. It was probably fake news created by the government to cover up Bigfoot that you were right. passing around. Chris. Yeah. Uh, I platform. believe they refer to that as being a useful idiot, potentially. Uh, I am definitely a useful idiot. That is, <laughs> yes. that is, without a doubt. Okay. All right. All right. So I need more. Yeah. So that, that's a very well-respected film that is still considered to be um uh, an actual shot of a Bigfoot in the Bigfoot research community that's good to know dude I didn't know I didn't realize that yeah so with with these guys Toby or Tobe as he goes by and bro who sound like total bros uh George Knapp is a big Bigfoot guy and he keeps trying to get them to like say like there's all this evidence for Bigfoot and they just are not giving they're not going to do it which was really funny to listen to. So here's a little clip where uh, they discuss how much evidence there is to prove Bigfoot exists.
3: How much solid evidence do we have and what can we prove for sure?
0: Um, you know, we don't have a lot of solid evidence.
2: <laughs> just, <laughs> we don't. We, we, don't just have, have it. we don't have any evidence. And as you're listening to this interview, it's clearly not what Knapp wants to hear. So he starts leading them more and more where he's like, Oh, well, what about footprints? That's great evidence. Do you agree? And then that way they're like, oh, yeah, we do agree. Yeah. It's just very funny. These guys are like not necessarily playing into it as much as staff wants them to. I mean, they're, they're really more like, uh, like cu- cultural ethnologists than Bigfoot people, right? It's more about the story of Bigfoot, the myth of Bigfoot and kind of what it means in the general scheme of things than like actually having Bigfoot come to you or whatever. Yeah, they, they really are, especially with this film that they made uh, a flash of beauty. Now they are coming out with another movie or a- actively working on another movie called paranormal Bigfoot, where I think they're going to get into some of the more wild stuff, Okay, but I don't necessarily think that they believe it based on what's or I guess how, how they present the information in this okay. episode. This is more, like I said, they're, they're very based in a lot of how they're, they're handling things right now. Right. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, but that said, footprints are pretty cool. Chris, footprints are cool. There's there's, you know, and Dr. Meldrum talks about how the footprint is some of the best evidence
0: that we have because of the way that the foot is shaped, you know, in order to fake that you would have to have a pretty, pretty advanced knowledge of you know, a primate
2: foot and how that foot would work. So basically, there are a lot of footprints that have been found and right. they have been proven to be scientifically accurate depictions of a foot. Right. right. So it's not like someone just made a cardboard cutout and just shoved it into the ground or something like that. It's like, no, right. this is actually how a foot would be working. This is how the bones would be structured. It's just really big. Right. And that's the part where, you know, obviously there are a lot of hoaxes and they do talk about that, but they are disproven quickly, but it's those footprints that are anatomically accurate, just way bigger than anything else that we know exists right. uh, that are the best piece of evidence that, that they can really find. Very interesting. So like the gate is correct. How much pressure would be put into mud or whatever it is that they make the cast in all of those things? People look at it and they're like, yeah, if you did have an eight-foot creature that weighed four or 500 pounds, this is how they would walk. This is how their footprint would look. Yeah, and this is how deep the print would be if it weighed this much, like you right, said. Right. So that way it's not just like this light footprint. It's like, no, this is shoved into the mud. You need a ton of pressure to actually make right, this happen. Right. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. And, okay. and th- it's one of those things where they're, they're found all over the place in, in really remote locations that are off the beaten path right so it's like what are these doing here yeah and what made them so that's one of the things that napkin gets into right and he's a bit incredulous about it. he's like why would anyone bother faking this and it doesn't make any sense
3: uh tobe the the ones the prints that get to me the most are ones that you find in the middle of nowhere not on some path where road workers are bound to see it but somewhere up on the top of a mountain ridge where nobody ever climbs and there they are out in the middle of nowhere if somebody's trying to prank prank people that wouldn't be the place to put them, would they?
1: Well, you know, I'm always surprised at what people will do. <laughs> that's what dude, that's what I was going to say is like, man,
2: people will do. I mean, just look at that TikTok video that we saw with the baby, right? Like yeah. people will do anything if they think it's going to give them like like a modicum of media attention. The, the clout chasing is brutal. Yeah. Clout uh, chasing. That's the best way to put yeah. it. Yeah. And that's another great example of these guys not giving Matt what he wants. Cause he's like, it wouldn't make any sense to do that. And the guys are like, no, oh, you know, people are weird, man. I, I could see it happening, <laughs> which yeah. I, I could also see it happening, you know? Well, oh, you know, it, for me, I, the one that I always think of is crop circles. And people yeah. are being like, why would anyone do this to their own field? And it's like, because they're like uh, marginally crazy yeah or they're just weird they're just strange and well, they're just yeah. you know that they, they in some way they probably think that they're helping the alien community right or it's like oh if i make this this will get people talking and there'll be more likelihood that aliens do come you yeah. know it's like you know who, who's to say you know or they're just having you know they could just be having fun it's like that uh there was that guy that put the obelisk in the middle of that that desert canyon. Exactly. Yeah. And it was there for years before anyone found it. And then finally, people found it. We're like, oh, my, what is this obelisk? What's it doing here? Uh, and it was just some artists who had put it out there for like five years prior. They had the satellite footage from Google Earth showing it had been there for a super long time. Right. Just, you know, we just put it there. and didn't say anything. And then finally, someone stumbled into it. Yeah. Yeah, people are just strange but they do go ahead they do throw nap a little bit of a bone because he's clearly fishing for them <laughs> to get it on this nap is just like give me a bone guys we're coast to coast am
3: please.
2: i know what my listeners want
1: <laughs> they want this. you to say there's
2: hard evidence please
1: it. <laughs> please but uh getting to the meat and potatoes are what you're describing being on site when you actually see a track that's stamped into something like the duff of the forest at a 90 degree angle a couple inches deep Um, at that point you're left without question that something with direct pressure has left that undoubtedly uh large impression so
2: something's leaving these tracks yeah and this is, this actually is interesting because I don't know what that is. Like, could that be a fake? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. You know, I, I, a part of me thinks a little bit, you know, what if uh, the Nephilim are real, right? And these are yeah. just Nephilim. I guess it's also an option. These are just aliens. These are no, 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 not aliens. Nephilim were uh human angel hybrids. Oh, I thought Nephilim were the Anunnaki who um, bred with humans. Well, it depends on, I think it depends on who you think angels are. If you believe angels are Anunnaki, then that would make the Nephilim, the hybrids of aliens and humans. Yeah. If you believe that angels are godlike beings, beings created by God that came down, then the Nephilim are angel-human hybrids. Well, and it's similar with... <laughs> so what you just said either way they're human hybrids (laughs) yeah they're human hybrids um it's so hard to keep track of all these fake alien races uh so one of the interesting things about bigfoot too is and the reason why i like these guys is because they are a lot more grounded like i said a lot of the people who go on coast to coast talk about bigfoot the guy i was listening to recently he knows all about bigfoot because he psychically communicates with them yeah, and, right, right. yeah so that's how he's figured all this information out and how they're actually an alien race who like crash landed and are hiding from other alien races like the draconians and stuff like that yeah um, so like there's just a lot of wackos out there and these guys stick at least relatively to facts so they're just <laughs> what wo- they're wookies yeah basically they're just wookies according to their this, wookies this that gentleman. crash landed on earth yeah yeah that's an that's it that's an interesting take it's a take it's, it's interesting <laughs> it counts as a take, take. <laughs> now when they were going in and talking to uh because i think these guys are actually canadian uh because they were using the term first nations a lot yeah definitely but, canadian yeah basically it's, it's really hard to break into first nations groups and get them to share these stories so yeah a, i would imagine so you, you, it's like one of those things like you think the u.s government was bad to our native americans <laughs> dude the canadians were somehow worse and then you have tobe and brett it, <laughs> yeah, tell just, us about the Bigfoot. We still have the Bigfoot, bro. Like, <laughs> what about the Bigfoot First Nations? And they're just like, Oh my god, get off of our property, get them the hell out of here! But <laughs> I, I think they were so genuine, you know. Eventually, they, they were able to get them to open up,
1: right? Time to uh, address Sasquatch with her. In fact, it took a couple seasons to even bring up the name Sasquatch with this elder. And that's just because of the reverence to the Sasquatch being themselves. So in that case, you know, you have to sit back and just kind of wait.
2: So they, they literally waited years, like building relationships with these tribes in order to, you know, get them to open up about Sasquatch. And I was like, man, these guys are dedicated. No, that's good. That's good. Ethnography though. That's classic ethnographers. Um, You really, in the true, like sense of the word you really got to put your time in so that you build trust and then through that trust you get the most um truthful stories hopefully yeah and i think it also helps uh, being able to contextualize the information because you've actually gathered an understanding of the community and the culture exactly. behind it, and then it's not just like a random tidbit. It's like, no, I can actually put this in context and then right. present that narrative uh, to my audience in, in a cohesive way. Right. It's helpful to have the the whole story and not just the Sasquatch Bigfoot story. Right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. how does this connect to the tribe, and how does this connect then to the people? And then, how does it connect to the culture at large? Yeah, and it's so much less sensationalized too, right? Which I really appreciate, and that's why I just really like these guys. I like, these, I I haven't watched their documentary yet. I need to, uh, but yeah, they they're pretty cool dudes. So the the other thing they get into is some more of the modern day sightings that have occurred, right? And one of the things that really intrigued them to begin with was the actual trauma that was associated with people who had seen Bigfoot. Really? Yeah, which is not something I had really thought about. Some
0: folks that have had um, post-traumatic stress disorder type symptoms after seeing something that, quote-unquote, does not exist. And so I thought there was something to that.
2: So people we are straight up getting PTSD from that. Right. Well, dude, I th- you know, we talked about this before, about seeing these different, you know, alien beings or anything like that where yeah dude it would probably shake you to your core especially Mm -hmm. if you're not someone who already kind of believes in conspiracy and paranormal yeah and i think that's the thing for me is is if i saw a ufo which i still want to see a ufo one day i don't know if anything like that would happen but yeah maybe if i saw a bigfoot that because i mean that's it's it's here it's on the ground you can see it it's probably terrifying to see right yeah you know um there's a horrible a horrible smell associated with it yeah i mean that would it would be terrifying it really would be yeah and i guess there's a certain like fear for your life uh, on top of this this thing that's not supposed to actually exist yeah i I mean Dude, running into a grizzly bear in the wild would give me PTSD. That would be scary. Let alone a eight foot walking, hairy being. Yeah, we did see that bear once, but it was, we were inside a cabin. Yeah. And it was yeah. like a little black bear. Yeah. It was you know, small. which is like essentially a raccoon. <laughs> Basically, was a raccoon just going through trash? Cans. Just going through trash. Yeah, you know? just a, a giant raccoon. It's a giant trash bear, dude. Yeah. So one of the ways that they they help uncover some of the information about the event is actually through hypnotherapists and psychologists. So well, that that takes away a little bit of their uh, <laughs> their sheen for sure. Yeah. This was the one where I was like, "All right, this is a little questionable." Uh, If you are using hypnotherapy to get any of this information.
0: Yeah. And a hypnotherapist, for instance, can go back frame by frame and help that person recall that encounter, recall the details. And they they can kind of go backwards and, and remember what it looked like and how they were feeling and, you know... And that really helps
2: out with the therapy. Now, Chris, what this is based on, and and you may be familiar, some of our listeners may be familiar, but the the idea of repressed memories, right? Right. Which is the belief that traumatic events are actually stored in your unconscious and then can be brought to light through hypnosis and through uh, a hypnotherapist actually guiding you through the events. Right. Now, this has been mainly discredited by pretty much everyone in psychology. Because of how it's been abused and how it has been shown to basically just make up memories in your brain. So one of the most famous examples was in the 1980s during the Satanic Panic where hypnotherapists were convincing (laughs) children that they were being ritually abused by their teachers or by their parents and a lot of innocent people got thrown into jail because of it well did l ron hubbard use hypnotherapy in the beginning stages of scientology to figure out like past lives and stuff like that i i haven't heard that but it, it wouldn't shock me I'm pretty sure that's right. I'm pretty sure that's right. So hypnotherapy has always been one of those things for me that I've always been highly skeptical of. Because, again, you know, we talked about this a little bit with uh, our harlot, the witch, where it's just like if everyone is a prince or a king or a (laughs) mighty general warrior. And it's like, no, most of you were peasants living a terrible life mucking around in horse manure mm-hmm. that was 99 percent of us yeah not everyone can be a pharaoh in their past life but for right, some reason exactly. everyone's a pharaoh yeah yeah there's a literally 100 pharaohs <laughs> yeah but six billion people were a pharaoh <laughs> for some reason <laughs> right exactly well, unless Elron Hubbard is right, and we just have a, a million souls attached to us, uh, right. and we all have a little bit of that pharaoh soul. Yeah, that's a, that's everyone a has a little pharaoh soul in them. Yeah, so go check out your local Scientology center for some auditing, because who knows? Get, get audited. <laughs> go get audited, everyone. Take all my money for your audit. <laughs> maybe you maybe you saw a bigfoot and you've been repressing it, that's and uh, that that audit might help you uh, bring that back up. Clear that one up. I wonder how many uh, paranormal things come up in audits. That would be pretty cool. It's an alien religion, so I would imagine that it's actually <laughs> a decent percentage. <laughs> Most of them actually have aliens come up. <laughs> Almost all of them have yeah. some kind of alien experience. All right, so when when we were talking about you know PTSD, hypnotherapy, stuff like that, there's a there's a reason for that, Chris, and it's because seeing Bigfoot is even worse than being on tour in Iraq apparently. Oh, wow. Yeah. So pretty severe. <laughs> Do we have that? We have that clip. <laughs> Give me that
0: clip. Yeah. Chad and Austin. Great, great guys. Those are, those are a couple of guys that I think had that kind of borderline PTSD. Now Austin's a veteran. He was, he was served over in Iraq, I believe. And what he experienced in combat um was second to what he experienced that day looking across that lake at that Bigfoot.
2: I would just like to say for our veterans out there that I imagine that there is a wide berth of uh, experiences of those who went to Iraq. If you were like an IT guy, an IT soldier, Yeah. yeah, you probably had an all right time. But if you're sitting there on the front lines, taking shots, running over IEDs and like getting captured by terrorists, dude, there's, I'm sorry. There's absolutely zero way that like maybe running into a Sasquatch in the woods would be anything comparable to months of trauma. Yeah. It's one of those things where, you know, None of us have ever been to war or in the military or in combat. Uh, I just don't really see seeing Bigfoot being worse. Like that, that's quite the claim. And, and the way that he phrases it as well is it's worse than the combat that he saw in Iraq. we obviously implying that he did see combat. Right. Which I don't know if it, it's true. Um, Chad and Austin are two buddies who were survivalists. They went out into the forest and they saw a Bigfoot by the lake. So, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what their experiences were, but yeah, I, I don't quite buy that. Yeah. That's, that's a little far fetched for me. Yeah. But let's get into what uh, Chad and Austin actually saw, which I also just love the names on this show. We got Toby, Brett, we got Chad and Austin uh, just a couple of white bros uh, seeing Bigfoots, man. Yeah, just a couple of bros crushing beers, <laughs> just seeing Bigfoot. All right. So what, what did they actually see?
0: And what they witnessed, I thought, was so profound because they saw a an adult bigfoot take a child or a juvenile and shield it and protect it when they saw the humans and I you know I just I for some for me that really touched me and I and it really touched him it really touched Chad as a father and touched
2: Austin and Austin works with special needs kids protecting the baby but uh, I, again. On the on the off chance that Bigfoot is real, it is more than likely a mammal, right? Mm-hmm. And not just a mammal, it's an ape. Now, having worked on a farm with cows, sheep, chickens, goats, you know, even mother chickens protect, protect their chicks, you know, female sheep use protect their lambs, mother cows, protect their calves. That, that instinct to protect your young is innate in all beings, you know, and particularly, particularly innate in mammals who, who feed their young through their own bodies. And so that isn't the least bit surprising to me. My my only qualm with this is that that doesn't seem very traumatizing. No, it doesn't seem particularly traumatizing. Because the Bigfoot wasn't acting aggressive. It was acting defensive over its child uh, from far away. Well, but it goes to our original conversation about, you know, especially if you are not somebody who is conspiratorial, or a believer or into paranormal stuff that it would be traumatizing having this thing that you've heard of but you maybe never have given any thought or definitely don't believe in you know coming face to face with something that you're like this is a myth I think would be somewhat traumatizing yeah well and the big thing too is that they did not want to tell the story and especially do not want to tell the story on camera. Yeah, no doubt.
0: At the same time, you know, they, they were afraid of the ridicule. They were afraid of what people would say. And so, you know, it took them a while to, to really come forward. And we really had to kind of coax them in order to, to come out there and revisit that spot,
2: which I totally believe dude. I probably would not tell anyone either. No. Especially if you're kind of like macho survivalist dudes and then you yeah. go home and you're like, y'all, I saw a Bigfoot. Everyone's gonna be uh, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I saw a Bigfoot and it was more traumatizing than a tour <laughs> of duty in Iraq. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's a lot. That yeah. is a lot. Well, the interesting thing, too, is that they were out there shooting survivalist videos, but they didn't have their cameras on them at the time of the sighting, which goes back to what Tobe was talking about, where it is thought that the reason why it's so difficult to get these creatures on camera is because they can somehow sense cameras, right? They stay they can really like far away. sense, probably like electromagnetism or something like that. Yeah. Some sort of like EMP situation. They, they know that it's there and they stay far away. And it, it's thought that the reason why they were able to see this Sasquatch specifically when they didn't have their cameras, one of the few times they didn't have their cameras was because they did not have cameras. So Bigfoot is like borderline Amish or Mennonite. Just hates technology. Just hates electronic technology. Yeah, maybe it, maybe the, the frequency of it just like irritates it somehow. I, I don't really right. understand. Like, unless it's it's smart enough to know that when people take pictures, it proves its existence and then people would potentially look for it. Like, I don't really understand why it hates the cameras because it would need to know what the camera is. And to be able to relate that to human society and what the implications would be of being caught on camera. Well, they're just a little bit more forward thinking than most of us are. You know, it's like the all the damage 5G radiation is doing to us. Yeah. Well, that's we all know that's where COVID came from. Obviously. Yeah, Chris. right. Yeah, exactly. Dude. So and look, 5G. I bet there was no COVID in the Sasquatch community, dude. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably that's have funny. very low cancer rates. Um, High probably- testosterone for sure high tea (laughs) all day dude and that's because they have shunned electrical outputs yeah yeah it was this this is all making a lot of sense to me This tracking for you this is tracking all right so we got a bit of a longer clip here okay uh but it is very interesting right so it is the story of a diary entry from the year 1840 okay from a man named Elkanah Walker, who was a missionary in the Pacific Northwest. That's a name. That uh, Elkanah Walker. Elkanah. You don't hear that one too often anymore. You don't. It's definitely an 1840 missionary type name.
0: Yeah. Elkanah Walker was a missionary from the East Coast. He was from New England, as a matter of fact. And um, he was kind of stationed, I guess you could call it, up near um, Spokane, Washington, when he wrote this letter back to a friend of his, another reverend on the East Coast. And- And then he goes into these accounts that are right out of modern day tales. I mean, he nails all of it. He nails the smell, he nails the foot size. Um, Everything is there, it's eerie. It's it's very eerie, but the, the letter I assure you is real.
2: So this letter is allegedly being kept at Yale University in their archives. I haven't validated that, but that's where uh, Tobes says that the letter is. And I actually did find a copy of the letter, Chris, if you'd like me to read it to you. Yeah, absolutely. I would absolutely love for you to read this to me. Yeah, track this little. (laughs) This is very interesting. Yeah. So wait, 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 wait. It's It's a diary entry or it's a letter that he wrote to somebody. I think it was a letter that was stored in a diary. Okay, it seems like, but it's it's written by uh, Elkanah Walker in the year 1840. Because all I was going to say, especially if it was a diary entry, is that you wouldn't expect this to be read by people, right? And so discussing it in your diary does it does give it some kind of like this is a private interaction and why would you go through the lengths of doing this private this private thing right like why would you make that up in a diary entry yes i'm saying yes so i i think that it was stored in a diary but it was a letter written from this missionary to his missionary buddy and it's written as if it's being written to someone else okay cool let's hear it all right. So from the the entry from 1840, from this missionary in the Pacific Northwest. Bear with me if I trouble you with a little of the superstitious. They believe in a race of giants which inhabit a certain mountain off to the west of us. This mountain is covered with perpetual snow. They, the creatures, inhabit the snow peaks. They hunt and do all their work at night. They are men stealers. They come to the people's lodges at night when the people are asleep and take them and put them under their skins and to their place of abode without even waking. Their track is a foot and a half long. They steal salmon from Indian nets and then eat them raw as the bears do. If the people are awake, they always know when they are coming very near by their strong smell. And that is most intolerable. It is not uncommon for them to come in the night and give three whistles. And then the stones will begin to hit their houses. So that's the letter. That's the letter. So, it doesn't, but it doesn't sound like he himself came across the beans he's just retelling the stories that these native american tribes have told him very yeah that that is true so the way that to phrased it i think was a bit inaccurate uh he is retelling the stories that the local tribesmen had told him about these giants that live in the mountains and again that is not surprising when it comes to native american tales dude i mean the thing is is that though most of them are orally told they're orally told in like an exact characteristics that can be traced through generations. Yeah. You know, the story that I hear today from a native American medicine man is, is almost, almost exactly the same story that was told a thousand years ago. Yeah. Well, I think these stories also do serve, uh, to to benefit the community in some way because I almost feel as if it's like keep watch of wild beasts at night type situation. Right, you know what right. I mean it's like you know how Grimm's fairy tales all you know tell kids to behave or they're going to be thrown in an oven um I, I think that this potentially has a bit of that in it right there, there are things that could come bump in the nights and you need to be watching out for that well I mean you know stay away from large castles in the middle of the night because you will be taken yeah <laughs> you know our elite have always been into weird murder sacrifice sex stuff yeah and grim told those tales being like "Dude, stay away from the castles at night all right they will capture your ass the the english royalty has always been full of pedophiles Always full of pedophiles, <laughs> always doing blood sacrifices, you know, Transylvania, don't go out that way. That's a weird place because you have Vlad the Impaler, you know, killing hundreds of people so he can bathe in their blood. Yeah, yeah. That's a bunch of bunch of Prince Andrews out there. Yeah. Um, all right. So, really what, what we're getting at here, and what Nap really likes to point out is that people try and say This all started with the Patterson-Gimlin film, man, and it's way older. Right. This
0: is not a phenomenon that started in 1967 with the Patterson-Gimlin film. This is a phenomenon that started, you know, hundreds of years ago uh, with some of the first settlers.
2: Been here a while. And one of the stories that they call out is uh, Teddy Roosevelt's uh, potential sighting of a Bigfoot, which also do have the real story for you here. It is a little mischaracterized, but we'll go ahead and listen to how how nap talks about it but teddy roosevelt is involved in this story i'm so excited i didn't know dude i didn't know <laughs> yeah i was gonna do some research on this one dude because they're bringing up some weird stuff teddy dude teddy's behind every great story of america so uh yeah of even shocked that teddy roosevelt had a bigfoot story like honestly. no no that dude loved the wilderness <laughs> he was badass man
3: yeah, there are those who like to argue that it's all a product of television and films that, that they've created the mythology. And so people see it out there when they're actually just seeing a bear or a moose or something. But these stories have been around a long time all over the world. I, I remember there's a Teddy Roosevelt encounter somewhere where it sure sounds like it's a Sasquatch that he that he runs into.
2: All right. So the Teddy Roosevelt encounter. Okay. This is from Teddy's 1892 book called The Wilderness Hunter. OK. So in this book, Teddy tells the story of another hunter, right, that he had met and who told him this story. So it is secondhand. Teddy Roosevelt okay. did not see a Bigfoot. Uh, hearsay, least, dude. Hearsay. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it is a bit of hearsay, and you know how you know how big fish can get, especially right. in 1892. Well, and also among hunters. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> Come on. Fishermen and hunters are the most notorious tall tale tellers dude and if you're telling it to teddy roosevelt you are making some stuff Bob, oh yeah man. i oh, would have yeah. done that if i was yeah. telling teddy a story i have no I'm, idea that fish is about four inches longer than it was in real life right that, that fish was bigger than my boat
1: <laughs> yeah And you right. know
2: so he he tells a story about this trapper who's named uh Bowman who ran into a very large creature one night. So it's, it's unspecified what the creature looked like, but it was very large and it was dark and they were trying to trap it. It evaded all of their traps and ended up destroying the campsites. It smelled really bad. It was very hairy uh, and it was very large. And that's pretty much the extent of the story. Okay. So like could have been a large grizzly bear or something like that. Yeah, it, it could have been for sure. It's kind of undefined what it was, but okay. you know, it, it it could be interpreted to be a Sasquatch certainly. Right, um, right. But it was secondhand and it was some guy telling TR a story. So I don't know how much. Yeah. And that the of evading that. the traps and stuff it, it it gives you the the thought that this is an intelligent creature. Exactly. It's, it must be really smart. Right. And with Bigfoots being really smart, kind of like what we were talking about, the Bigfoot, you ain't gonna see it if it doesn't want you to see it, man.
3: Right. I think the point you make in the film, at some, it might be from one of the witnesses that, yeah, one of the female witnesses who said that, basically they decide who gets to see them. They allow you to see it, and if they don't want you to see it, you won't agree.
0: Absolutely. Now I know Tob can talk a little bit more about this, but Chad and Austin mentioned this. You know, people say, "Well, here, you know, you're up there with." Uh, your cameras is doing youtube survival videos and you didn't get the the bigfoot on camera and we go into that you know in detail but um in short uh yeah they they believe that had they had their cameras with them on that that bank the on the the shore of that lake that they would not have been seen like it was almost kind of an indoctrination to a certain extent
2: now the other thing with this is that the bigfoot can also sense your intentions apparently (laughs) <laughs> and this is when we get a little more woo with it yeah that's, that's, a, that's a little dude all right let's hear this part
1: all right george there seems to be something with sasquatch and your intent uh, a measuring device on what your intent is when you come into the tree line not always the tree line but per se out here in the pacific northwest if you have intention to sneak up or deploy any electronics for that matter but especially there seems to be a permission slip with cameras, and that's, uh, that's non-negotiable even with the apers in the community. There's something to that.
2: So basically what they go on to talk about is that you have to do have positive intentions of some sort, and then that right. way the Bigfoots will allow you to see them. That's, that's kind of an interesting thought, but again, I, I, I guess just like evolutionarily speaking, how the hell would that ever come about? Well, we're going to get into this in a couple of clips, but there is a psychic aspect to this as well. There, there, there's okay. All right. So, before we get into the psychic aspect, though, I know what you're asking yourself, Chris. All right. I'm out of the woods, right? Okay. I see a Bigfoot. Who do I even tell? Yeah. Where do I go once this happens? Yeah. Well, luckily, we got a website for you, Chris. It's called bigfootmap.com. <laughs> so this is like going to john rhodes's website and being like i came across a reptoid it's the exact same thing but okay. for Bigfoot. but for bigfoot good I, I wish he had a reptoid map.com and then it'd just be a bunch of pins in only south carolina right. we don't have that no these well these are just all in the pacific northwest yeah this yeah you can go there and you can read reports you can
0: file reports with uh, bigfootmap.com and that's what interests me is because i feel like when you take a look at a map and you see and we show this in the film you see all these dots appear in the map and you know there's there's different dots for whether it was a track whether it was a sound or whether it was a full-blown sighting but when you see all this data you have to ask yourself not every single one of those is something other than a bigfoot
2: so the basic argument being they all can't be fake man yeah They're not all fake. They're not all grizzly bears. At least uh, a small percentage of these has to actually be Bigfoot. Which is an interesting argument. I don't know if I buy it, but it is an argument. Uh, Right. If Bigfoot doesn't exist... Then yes, they can all be something else. Yeah, they they actually have to all be something else, right? right. And the thing is, is you know, Nap, uh, Tobe, and Brett talked about this, where it didn't start with the Patterson Gimlin film. It's been around for a really long time, but I don't think that necessarily removes the possibility that there is cultural influence on these psychics. Right. Where people are, everyone knows what Bigfoot is now, right? And that could inspire people to see something that's not actually there potentially. right? Or promote get people to, to you know, be more likely to have a bit of a hoax. And, and being out in the woods is kind of an interesting experience, especially for people who don't, who aren't out in the woods, out in wilderness all the time, right? Like I remember this one time, I went out with a group out in Colorado and everyone was convinced this thing was like a large moose. And I kept on being like, y'all it's not moving at all. This is not a moose. And finally we like kept on like inching closer and closer. And we finally got close enough, you know, and had some binoculars and it was a huge log. (laughs) And I mean, these people are sitting there like taking pictures and like, look at the moose, look at the moose. And it's like, dude it's not a moose i'm like i want to see a moose i want to believe it's a moose this is not a moose and so i just i always think about that when somebody's like well i I, can't, I don't know what i saw out in the wilderness and it's like yeah you know the, your mind plays tricks on you out there yeah i mean that's a that's a great example of it. it's like no, oh, you probably saw a log bro <laughs> You or or whatever you <laughs> or know, a, a weird looking uh, yeah, a bear that was on its hind legs, or a weird looking rock, and the shadows were moving. I mean, it could have been. It can. It, it can be any number of things out there because your mind, your mind is literally attempting to, to put meaning and and attempting to put patterns to things that it's seeing, things that it can't explain. Yeah, I think that's a great point, is that the the human brain is pattern-seeking. So like you said, it's like we're projecting things onto the world around us, and sometimes it leads to seeing things that are not there. Um, We see bears behaving strangely that can't be a bear that has to be Bigfoot. Yeah, but sometimes, Chris, sometimes it is Bigfoot. You're right. Sometimes and it is Sometimes you can start building relationships. I was gonna say stuff. I'm going way too skeptical on this. You yeah, what we've traded places. I'm like all in on this Bigfoot you're stuff. All in <laughs> on the Bigfoot, and I am poking holes in it. I was right. not expecting to be this in on Bigfoot, but it's the, this. I'm like, yeah, dude. The prints. <laughs> what are the footprints? <laughs> This is the first time since recording this show that I'm like, yeah, I kind of believe this. I <laughs> so. kind of really believe the Bigfoot theory. Now this is, we're going to start getting a little wonky though. This is where it's going to start losing me a little bit, but uh, having a relationship with the Bigfoot, Chris, entirely possible. Right. You, you can okay. do
0: it. You know, a woman that we interviewed Arla Williams has had a relationship with uh, multiple Bigfoot or Sasquatch for, you know, almost 60 years i mean this goes back to her childhood when she was kind of playing outside she looked up she saw a hairy little kid and that hairy little kid was a juvenile bigfoot and as it
2: turns out her grandmother had had some of the same experiences so it's a family thing what uh do i get more than that is that all i'm getting out of that story so she, she became friends with Bigfoots, but, or sorry, Bigfoots, which is both a singular and plural. But one of the ways that she communicates with them is psychically. Oh, please. This is the part I want to hear.
0: Basically, Arla is able to, to do what's called mind speak. And she can communicate with them back and forth, either using, you know, they'll send her words in her head that she'll hear but it won't be her own voice her internal voice or she'll she'll see pictures
2: so her relationship with bigfoot is based on mind speak predominantly okay communicating psychically with the bigfoot tribe right interesting and this is this is how bigfoot communicates with other bigfoot psychically uh, I guess that that's not really clarified, but I can only assume that if you are communicating psychically with humans, you're probably doing that with other Bigfoot. This kind of gives it a little bit more of that angel alien feel though. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, it, if they're psychically communicating with each other, with humans sending you pictures and images in your brain, like that's, you know, pretty alien. Holy crap, dude. I'm connecting the thoughts here. What if these were, the ancient civilization that has survived the apocalypse 10,800 years ago that Graham Hancock was talking about, dude. I'll tell you, email Graham and see what he thinks. So, Graham, <laughs> what if these are Bigfoot? <laughs> <laughs> I, won't get a, I won't get a response back. I won't get a response back. I, I don't back. know if Graham would appreciate no, that. No, I don't think Graham would like that idea too yeah. much. Graham, Graham. It's Bigfoot, uh, next time I'll let you know when Graham is going to be on the show again and I'll, I'll we can call it. We can call <laughs> it so, Graham. I'm thinking Bigfoot or Nephilim, Nephilim <laughs> are alien human hybrids. There was a whole race of Nephilim that created advanced civilization that was wiped out 10,800 years ago. And we still have Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest, but that's the reason they hate technology, is because their technology destroyed them. Yeah, Graham's not giving you the yes and on that one, man. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I think you gotta believe me, Graham. You gotta gotta believe believe me, (laughs) me, man. I can prove it. I have the documents. So now let's get into I know Chris I did I did promise you that we would talk about some of the gifts that people leave for Bigfoot yeah, I need to know about this so let's let's jump into the gift giving because you know that's how you show your love.
0: basically what happens is folks will put out um, any number of things from food to trinkets um, to you know um, things that have special value or that they know might you know attract, more Bigfoot, you know, like, for instance, marbles are a popular one. Um, and this is something that we get into quite a bit in the second film. And, and this is something that Toad can kind of elaborate on, some of his gifting
2: exchanges that he's had. So what happens is that people go out and then whenever they feel like they have psychically connected with Bigfoot in some way or emotionally connected, they leave those little gifts and then they get gifts back. Oh, so it's like a crow. You start giving like uh, little uh, pieces of bread and stuff to crows. They'll start bringing you money. Do crows do that? Oh, dude, you can totally train crows like that. Really? Yeah. They'll like pick up little uh, shiny objects. And a lot of the times it's like little pieces of jewelry or, uh, coins and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Big, I mean, maybe it's just a crow. <laughs> maybe a <crow's> just... <laughs> I think you just debunked this. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but what, what they'll typically get in return, uh, according to Tobin Brett, is gifts that appear to have been left behind in the forest. So it'll be like a moss-covered compass, you know, that's that's really dirty and, and waterlogged. It looks like it's been left out for a long time. So they'll get that left in return for them or, or something to that effect. So right. the, the implication being they're found objects by Sasquatch that he's then, he or her, I guess, is then bringing to you in exchange for leaving uh, it marbles. Right. And, and, and it's probably going to be things that Sasquatch has no use for, you know, they're probably perfect direction Mm -hmm. tellers. Yeah. Why does a Sasquatch need compass? Come on. They would never need a compass. No, they know where they are at all times. I mean, they're psychic. Come on. All right. So we do have a caller here, Chris. Okay. This caller has a question. Is Bigfoot extra dimensional? it has to be so there is a phenomenon where bigfoot tracks are found and they just randomly stop right so you're you're following them for half a mile and then no more tracks out of nowhere there's nowhere for it to have gone so no what way. if they're That's phas- kind of cool though yeah what if they're like phasing in and out of our division? yeah possibility
1: got a question about is this a purely physical being or is this a, some a being that has other other properties, uh, the usual term is extra-dimensional. Something in the woods, something in the desert, something that you can't see uh, right in plain sight, it should be at least. And cameras don't seem to solve the problem. Um, you know, we can go through a list of how this phenomena works, but let's just talk about the footprints in particular, the footprints that, that go to nowhere. Where do the footprints end? Um, it gets into uncomfortable answers for a lot of people, especially in snowdrifts in the middle of prairies when footprints just suddenly
2: stop. And this is a big thing in the, in the Bigfoot research community is like, why is it that the footprints just end after even right. following them for a while? And there's a couple different thoughts on it. Uh, some people say that uh, Bigfoot can walk backwards over its own tracks to hide its trail that's okay. interesting kind of like uh, the end of the shining uh, when the kids walk right. back in the snow uh, and right. the other one is they're phasing in and out of our dimension and those are the two main theories so those are the know- two though there's no other theory other than those two <laughs> those are the only two I ever hear you usually hear the extra dimensional one that they're not actually from our dimension well I would imagine something that lives in the woods that long would know how to cover their track yeah probably uh I think I don't know i, I it's interesting. I I, I mean, there's like trackers who can cover their tracks. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, of course, Bigfoot would know how to cover his or her tracks. And it may be like, this is crazy to us, but if you know how to do it, it's probably not actually all that crazy. Yeah. I mean, it it could be something like that. You know, I don't really know. It could, to, to be a bit of a skeptic, could also be because it's a fake. And the tracks need to end somewhere. They you know have what to I mean? end somewhere, right? <laughs> you can't keep going. You have to stop at some point. Yeah. Well, I think that'll that'll wrap it up for us today, Chris. But I do have one more clip, and it's about how researching Bigfoot man. It's about the journey. Yeah.
3: It's about the journey, maybe than than the destination. You know, but uh, it sounds like you're in it for the long haul, regardless, right? Oh, Yeah. So my, point. I
1: mean, on my end, I've been doing it since the mid 2000s, and. Uh, it comes in waves, and you kind of have to step back from it periodically because other life calls. But um, yeah. uh. when you start getting goodness on your hands like this, uh, documentary points out, uh, boy, you really step on the gas.
2: So that was just a nice little way to to wrap up. You know, we we yeah. may never actually find proof of Bigfoot, but it's just such an enjoyable thing to partake in. Right. Uh, and you know, I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate these uh, these guys, uh, Toby Johnson and Brett Eichenberger. Uh, And if you are interested, you can find their movie on Amazon, apparently. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Add in the show notes. But I think we go back to the thing that I particularly like about these two is kind of like the ethnography of Bigfoot. That it's the history of this story. That they went to Native American reservations and, and Native American storytellers to get to get these stories for a wider audience. And you know, I think with this whole coast to coast PM project for you and me, it's there's something to these stories, right? You may not believe all of them, but there are people that do. And there there's a reason why they keep on going, why they keep on existing. And I think a lot of the times it says more about us than it says about the story themselves. And so I think that's one of the things that I really like about Bigfoot, you know, kind of, kind of like you were saying, you know, it it probably did start out as a story to frighten children, you know, don't go out at night. Don't stray too far away from the tribe. Um, don't do these certain things, these different taboos, because the Bigfoot's going to get you. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I don't know, it's just one of those things where clearly people are experiencing something. I don't know exactly what that is, but their approach to discovering what people are experiencing based on a historical narrative in an eyewitness narrative and testimony, as opposed to, the heavy reliance on the very obscure paranormal that can happen with people who study Bigfoot. I just, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right. I think it, it does show something about society at large. These stories that we do uh, you know, pick up and the, the types of cryptics that we do discuss uh, even if they aren't real um, the fact that people do believe them is a story in its own. Right. Uh, that said, and I'll say, and I'll say, I'll say this much. As far as the cryptids we discussed, Bigfoot is the easiest one for me to believe in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that there could be some kind of member of the homo genealogy that has somehow remained hidden is more believable than like the Mothman or walking reptiles. We do have to do a Mothman prophecy at some point, we, though. We will have to do a Mothman, dude. Richard yeah. Gere was just too good in that movie not to yeah. talk about it. It is a bit more realistic than Mothman collapsing a bridge. Yeah. But. <laughs> or or reptiles underneath our planet. You know, like this one out of all the cryptids that I've heard about is the one that makes the most sense to me. And I think the one that I hope uh, is true. Yeah. Well, I would uh, love for there to be a a a human hybrid. That would be incredible. Yeah. Well, Chris, on a scale of one to five, uh, Bigfoot plaster molds. What do you give our boys, Toby and Brett? I so I'm giving it to them. I'm not giving it to the whole Bigfoot mythos, mm-hmm. but I'm giving them four. Bigfoot plaster foots. Fantastic. You know, I'm going to go even further, Chris. If we are giving it specifically to them, I'm giving them five because of how much better they are over anyone else I've ever heard discuss Bigfoot on the show. I think they blew it out of the water. Yeah, they were were great. They were awesome. Very grounded, very, uh, very good approach, I would say, to cryptozoology, which a lot of people don't have a good approach to this. Right. So I appreciated it. Yeah, I I took one off because they they did lose me a little bit with the hypnotherapy. Yeah, the hypnotherapy and then also the psychic communication also lost me a little bit. But I think my bar is just so low for people talking about Bigfoot on this show because it's mainly based around psychically speaking to tribes. And, yeah. and talking about their entire tribal structure based off of the thoughts in your brain. And I'm like, you may right. just need medication if you're hearing these voices. Yes. Um, but that has been our show about Bigfoot. So thank you every so much for listening and we'll see you again next week. All conspiracy, all the time. Later.